Welcome to Excel Boats on the X Podcast, powered by Mud Buddy Motors. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. The only podcast to bring you insights on the world of hunting, fishing, and boating. With your host, J. Paul Jackson. You don't say much, do you? Now, load up and side in. This is On the X. Welcome to Excel Boats on the X Podcast, powered by Mud Buddy Motors. J. Paul Jackson, your host here this weekend. We are joined by Dave Reynolds, who's finally back from vacation. Good to have you back on here. Oh, I, I wish I could say it's good to be back, but I don't know. I guess I'm... <laughs> you don't lie, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Had to come back sooner or later. Yeah. Also got to give some props, though, to our boy Jeffrey Whitlock, who I got to tell you, Dave, he did a great job standing in for you while you were gone. That's awesome. That's good. Gets me a little worried, though, you know, <laughs> that top security. You don't know. But is that easy to fill in for? No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, you're very, very hard to replace. <laughs> he just did a, a really good job. And also on here today, uh, we've got returning a pretty frequent guest and uh, Mud Buddy and Excel Boat's own Freddie King. Freddie, buddy, good to have you with us today. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Really glad to be here. Well, I'll tell you what, it's getting that time too. And today here, it's been kind of overcast and actually a little bit cooler. And uh, Freddie, I'm thinking blue wing teal are going to be here before you know it. Well, they sure will. I mean, it's in, and in all honesty, we're set up for a way much better coming into duck season as far as water water where we've got a ton of water we got a little over three inch rain last night at my farm and there's a lot of lows now that are saturated and holding water to where you know in the past couple of years they've been dry as a bone so with blue wing they're going to have some places to stop short and we'll get a little taste of duck hunting this year before the big duck season kicks in i'm looking forward to it no doubt about it yeah, I'll tell you what, but all that rain's kind of messing up my fishing as well. Uh, my pond out here behind the house, we had a big rain last night too, and it's uh, the water in it's muddy enough you could track a goat across it, so that's going to kind of hurt for fishing this weekend, And uh, but I- I'm glad to see it coming. W- what's it like out west with you guys, Dave? Bone dry, as usual. Bone dry and smoky, man. Yeah, you hazy sunsets all the wildfires in california idaho and utah it's we've had a very dry summer and coming off a very dry winter it's going to be sketchy this season you know there's not going to be a lot of water um in fact i'm sure some areas i won't be able to get into until at least mid-november once we should finally start getting some some rains um, so it's uh, it's gonna be dicey here. It's gonna be dry and and hot. So is the Great Salt Lake the Great Salt Flat right now? Yeah, Great Salt Lake is a salt flat. Yep, Antelope Island, which is usually an island, uh, hasn't been an island for quite a few years. It's unfortunate because you know finally two years ago we had a, a tremendous winter. We got tons of snow and and we thought we were out of the cycle, but yeah, you know, right back to it this last year. So that's living out west. In the in the days of uh, global warming, anyways, you know. <laughs> That's kind of what I was wondering. As far as these drier years, how does that uh, affect that? You know, a lot of people don't think about 
you know, Utah having some pretty large marsh areas, you know, let alone, you know, the, the Great Salt Lake and that sort of thing. But there's a lot of other marshes in the area. And how does how, those, when it dries up like that, how does it really affect, you know, the vegetation and those sort of things? Well, it does affect the vegetation. You know, there's no food source. Uh, you know, the alkali bulrush, you have a poor crop of that. You know, we have all natural crops, obviously. They don't plant at the managed areas. Um, and, you know, the, the soil's too acidic. Um, there's too much salt in the soil for anything to grow. So, you know, just the certain plants grow and uh, the ducks depend on that as a food source, salicornia and alkali bulrush and uh, when you have a dry hot summer especially as hot as this you just don't have the food source for one thing and secondly you don't have the water now a lot of the managed waterfall areas are impounded and they get water from the rivers coming out of the mountains and fortunately they typically have enough water I mean sometimes the water's low in a lot of areas you know which is you know it's all mud buddy I mean that's all you see out here is mud motors but what it affects more than anything is Great Salt Lake, and the Great Salt Lake is a huge holding and staging area for waterfowl. And when there's not much water in the Great Salt Lake, the ducks do not have much of a refuge. You know, they're accessible by hunters, they're crowded, and so as a consequence, the ducks just don't stick around. They might migrate through, but there's no food, no water, no refuge, and they just keep on going. So it, it could negatively affect us. Fortunately, we got a long season, you know, October 6th through near the end of January. So sooner or later, we get the rain. Most, most of the time, it's, gonna, it's later. Well, what you're telling me is, it, you know, duck hunting for y'all in other states and other regions isn't any different than what it is right here in Arkansas. You know, it, it, we're dependent on water and a sustainable you know, food source and the ability for ducks to get away from hunters and rest without pressure. Uh, right. Because if you if you have any of the those three things missing, ducks move on and they go on. And you know, we're lucky enough here in the state of Arkansas to have some impoundments that you know they hold water and provide water, but still yet you know for the number of hunters, it's definitely not enough. But every every state. Every region of the U.S., uh, they fight the same factors. You got to have, yeah. you got to have it all for a great duck season. Yep, you're right. Food, water, refuge, and weather. Now, sometimes you don't get the weather either to move them. So there's there's a lot of factors. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, you, we're very fortunate here in Northwest Tennessee, where I live. Yeah, or I in particular am because me and the guys that I hunt with, we have a variety of sites that we hunt. So. You know, it doesn't affect us as much on a dry year or a wet year because we've got spots that when there's low water, we're going to find ducks. But coming in early right now with till season coming up, uh, that's really a big deal for us because the last couple of years, we just had a combination of factors that have affected us adversely with the blue wing till, either not enough water. Or, you know, last year, it was so incredibly hot in September that the birds, they just blew right through. And you know, blue-winged teal are mainly uh, photo migrators, um, photo period migrators, but weather has a factor in it. This year, looks like we've got cooler weather, which is going to push the birds down and water coming in. And usually if we start out with a great tilt season, we have a great big duck season too. I can attest well, to that fact. I can those attest. duck hunters are optimistic bunch, aren't we? 
<laughs> you better believe it. That's for sure. That's for sure. Go ahead and take my money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen to me right now. I'm talking about the fact that you know it's overcast and 80 something, and we've got a bunch of rain and water. Dang it, we're gonna have a great tilt season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even though tilt season is still a month away. Yeah, it's five weeks away. But, you know, damn it, all that water is gonna stay. We always looked in the bright side of things. We're not gonna let the water go. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, I mean, you know, it, it duck hunters are—they're always thinking about duck, the weather, you know, and and wishing for better conditions. And it's either too wet or too dry. But you know, along with that comes the preparation. That's how we prep for duck season. You know, we we stay prepped for it. We're we're ready for it, and and always looking for a season and the, the watching how the water is laying in certain lakes and tables and where, you know, what's going to get water first. And, and heck, we know even here in the state, we need two and a half inches of rain in Northeast Arkansas or, or mid central to, you know, float a river above stage and those sort of things. We're, we're pretty doggone keen on that. Duck hunters all across the nation are on their own areas. Yeah. You know, and speaking of that, I mean, that's really, really, um, brings us to another thing that I wanted to talk about today. It's that time. I mean, it's time that we start preparing for duck season. What are you doing right now to start prepping for it? Well, as far as myself, I mean, I, first and foremost, you know, for some reason, right after duck season, I seem to find about 25 to 30 pounds. <laughs> I don't know how, but I always do. And, and there's nothing worse going into duck season being out of shape. Because trust me, we're – we're either pushing, pulling boats, dragging decoys, and knee-deep mud and muck. And, and you know, I try to get myself to lose a little bit of weight right off the bat, you know, before duck season comes in and try to get in shape for it. Because, uh, you know, even though it's only 60 days for us here in Arkansas, it's a hard 60 days. And you've got to be – if you're going duck hunt every single day like I do, you've got to be both physically – and mentally in shape. There's no doubt about it. So you better, you know, I got to set myself right for it. There ain't no doubt about that. Well, and don't forget uh, the dog too, being in shape. I mean, they're just like any athlete. You can't just take them out opening day, expect them to perform, you know. No, and Jay Ball going to attest to the fact again that a lot of swimming, a lot of a lot of folks don't train their dogs, you know, from the time duck season ends all the way till it starts up and through duck season. So it's a good thing to, you know, don't run your dog, swim your dog. And, you know, and watch the heat early summer or late summer start still hot. But in a lot of those water areas are, are you know, 85 degree water water is harder on your dog than 95 to 100 degree temps on land. So you got to be really, really careful about that. And don't overstress your dog and a lot more swimming than running. Yeah, and you know, you nailed it right there, too, about the water. I mean, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is, particularly in the deep south, is if you've got water that is, you know, running up there in the 90, the surface water of a lot of times is, you know, just like bath water. So swimming your dog before you put him in there, you know, throw your hand in there, throw your foot in there, you know, figure out, hey, what you're putting him in, because swimming isn't always uh, the best way you know, to get them in shape. Luckily for us here, with that said, you know, luckily for us here, we've had a lot of rain. The water temperatures are really, really good. Um, 
you know, Reba, my hunting dog, Melanie's been putting her in the water every morning when it's cool. And that's another thing to consider. You know, you don't want to be out working in the heat of the day. Don't have your dog out there in the heat of the day either. Get out there in the early morning hours when that surface water's cooled down overnight. Get the dog in it. Get the dog swimming. And then get that dog in the shade, preferably where there's a breeze to let that dog dry off. Because if that dog's wet, it doesn't mean it's cool. You pull them out of a, you know, a pond that's just like bath water and, uh, you know, put them into the sun. Man, they're, that's even worse. Now they're smothering. Yeah, that's just like walking into a sauna. Yeah, I was reading this article yesterday, and it was surprising me, but it said uh, about 50% of the dogs who get heat stroke do not survive. Oh, that or, is well, correct. Well, I guess that yeah, would be a heat stroke, right? That's the worst heat uh, affected Hyperthermia. Hyper Hyperthermia, yeah. I said 50%. Uh, chances are, you know, if, if they get bad, heat stroke. Well, here's the thing about heat stroke, you know, and I've studied this a lot, talked about it with my vet, actually wrote an article about it a couple years ago for Delta Waterfowls magazine. And the thing that a lot of people don't realize about heat stroke, most of those dogs, you lose them overnight or the very next day. You know the dog is overheated. By the way, if you guys listen out there, if you don't know the signs of it, uh, me and Freddie will give them to you right quick. First of all, uh, the dog's not panicked. Air exchange is the main way that that dog cools down. You'll see a dog that's overheated trying to take big, deep breaths instead of panning. You want to get that dog panning. Number two, uh, they will um, refuse water quite frequently, as crazy as that sounds. But if your dog's super hot and it won't drink, that's a warning sign. Number three, the dog um, becomes disoriented. Uh, you'll see that dog stagger around. If the dog lays down and won't get up, that is a, a horrible sign. You need to get that dog cooled down quickly. So first and foremost, knowing the signs of heat stroke are really important. Um, did I miss anything there, Freddie? No, no, you didn't. I mean, you know, those are straight up points and facts that you will notice instantly. But the bad thing is on 50% of those cases, when that happens, the damage is done. And so, you know, you got to really, really back off when things get hot. Because, I mean, it, when that happens, usually there's already some serious damage done to internal organs, brain, and, and those sort of things. Well, so, you know. Exactly. And you brought me to my next point. You know, when you see that dog is stressed out and he's, he or she is really, really suffering, first thing you need to do is cool them down as quickly as possible. But also, if you can get them air. I mean, air exchange is crucial for that dog. Lots and lots of air. I, lots and lots of air. I always on the truck uh, keep a bag of ice. I'm sure, Freddie, you fill your cooler with ice every day. And you want to throw that ice yep. down in the growing area, you know, between that dog's legs where the femoral arteries are. That's where you're going to get great cooling. Put it on the torso, on the abdomen. Start cooling that dog quick. If you, And most people don't. Uh, it's rare, but, you know, if you've got oxygen handle handy, I keep a small oxygen bottle in the dog trailer. Um, and the way you want to give that dog oxygen, the best thing to do is to take a, uh, a, a water bottle or a soda bottle and cut the bottom end off of it and put that over the dog's mouth and nose and run air in through the opening of it. But 
what happens with people, Dave, and you brought up that 50% of dogs that don't recover it and die over it. Here's what happens. Guys think that that dog is fine. They'll get the dog cooled off. They'll hose him down with cool water. They'll give the dog uh, um, IV, whatever. They'll get the dog drinking water, panning, walking around. They'll think the dog is fine. And then they come back out the next morning and the dog's dead. Um, and that's because exactly. there are a lot of other things that Freddie just alluded to that happened along there. You know, the most common thing is organ damage from those dogs getting too hot. Um, platelets, um, clotting enzymes in the blood and liver failure are the two most common things, which DIC, which is the clotting, you know, the dog, dog's blood won't clot. Um, DIC is the big, big killer of these dogs. And you can see it happening early. If that dog has uh, petechiae, which on the skin looks like little ruptured blood vessels, um, I always look on a dog that I think may have gotten too hot an hour or so after the episode on their abdomen, on their skin, where you can see it, see if it, there's any type of bruising. That bruising is really, um, you know, the little arteries and veins hemorrhaging because the dog's blood can't clot properly. And if you see that, you need to get that dog immediate veterinary attention. Um, usually a transfusion is the best thing for the vet to do if they can give that dog blood. I know my veterinarian has a, um, oh gosh, what are the dogs that they use for dog racing? Greyhounds. He has, greyhound. a, he has a retired greyhound that lives in the clinic. You know, of course, huge dog, well over 100 pounds, and he's the universal donor. And that dog has saved a lot of lives because he's got blood available right there for those dogs. So, you know, make sure the dog's Clotting factors aren't going away. Of course, a blood test is the only way you can be sure of that. And then you need to get that dog to the vet also to check those liver enzymes because that's the other thing that gets them, you know, a day, two days, sometimes, you know, several days later. But those dogs, most of them, in my experience, uh, don't survive because the, the owner thinks the dog has been cooled down. They think the dog is doing fine. They do not get veterinary attention. And then the other complications that Freddie alluded to with the organ failure winds up killing them. And that's exactly right. And you don't, most people don't know it until it's, you know, I mean, it's 100% too late. So you always got to be safe and, and, and look for things before they happen. So if it's hot out there, you know, don't, do a 15, 20 minute workout, just do an eight or 10 minute, call it quits, get the dog in the truck, get the air turned on, cool that dog off quick and, and go on about your happy life. Cause trust me, bringing a dog to a vet because of, you know, overheating is an, it's a painful thing to do. That's all there is to it. But I'll tell you this too. And one thing I left out in that, um, if you do think your dog is overheated, whether, even if you're unsure, if you know the dog is overheated, get veterinary attention period you got to get those blood tests and even if you think it's overheated you know <laughs> hey what's a 50 or 100 dollar vet visit compared to losing your best hunting buddy unnecessarily so you know if you think that's happened don't hesitate but that's what got us on this to begin with you know we're talking about freddie getting his girlish figure back production season 
It's a major thing. You know, if you want to, if you want to have a, 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 a duck season that, that you're comfortable, you got to be in shape. I mean, that's all there is to it. And, uh, yeah. Yep. And I'm wish about that. A lot of places I hunt are hiking spots and it'll kill most guys, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, for example, for my training, I got a twelve-hour mountain bike race tomorrow. <laughs> Twelve hours, hundred miles, and and uh, a lot of suffering. So, yeah, that's exactly. I look forward to, I look forward to duck season because there's no suffering like uh, bike racing. That's exactly uh, what well, I was. About I was thinking to more like. <laughs> I was thinking more like you know speed walking that sort of. No thing. matter how I suffer duck hunting, there's a there's a reward for my suffering. <laughs> that's for sure you but know, you know on other lines of getting prepped up there's there's a, a lot of things i do you know you start we have two or three different boats that we'll sit all year you know we have our fishing boats but then we have our nook boats and we'll get those boats out and we'll make sure everything's good to go on them uh you know yeah, i was gonna bring that up too freddie because uh i know you've seen it all of us have been there you pull up to the boat ramp opening day, there's a long line of guys and they're grumpy and stressed out because somebody at the boat ramp can't get their boat started. And they probably hadn't started their boat since last year, you know? Nine times out of 10, it's a dent battery. So and by all means, at least, at least with mud motors, you can run your boat in the driveway. You know, check the battery, make sure it's running, change the oil, and uh, you know, that, that's pretty common. These guys get out opening day and guess what? No, no boat. Nothing can ruin uh, opening day more than that. And you know what's just as common? Yeah. I think what's just as common is the guy goes and he pulls his gun out, and he didn't do anything with the gun at the end of duck season either, and now he pulls his gun out, and it's all got rust all over it. You know, the action's not operating smoothly because, you know, people don't think about boat prep. They don't think about gun prep a lot of times, and you need to consider both. Oh, yeah, and, you know, getting out and shooting again. That's what I'm doing, actually, Sunday, is uh, going out shooting skeet, you know. And I got a, a young hunter, too, 11-year-old son, and, uh, you know, it's fun. It's good for him because he gets good handling skills with his little 20-gauge, and we go out, and about every weekend from here on out, we'll go out and shoot about eight rounds of skeet every weekend. You know, just that little bit of, of shooting right there makes such a difference in you know, being able to track birds and spot the target quickly and, and, and learning your, your point of aim when you're pulling the trigger. And, you yeah. know, and, and as well, all of us need to practice a little bit more and, and get more comfortable with our swings and uh, when we're hunting. So, I mean, that that's a great thing, especially if you get so young, you know, to be out there, how to properly manage a shotgun when tracking the target. And plus, it's a confidence factor. Exactly. Yeah, and, and confidence and using the gun and knowing how it functions and uh, knowing how to address misfeeds in the field, you know, which happens with cheaper 20-gauge semi-autos, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Jay Paul's right. I mean, Jay Paul is 100% right. I can't tell you how many times that I've seen somebody slip a gun out of a case that I know for a fact that gun went in that case, case the last day of duck season and was coming out for the first time and the action being froze up, rusted up, you know, and, and I mean, we're all, you know, <laughs> we're all ready to get on to other things, but you know, prep time is going to save a ton of headaches 
whether it's the guns, the boats, the four-wheelers, the, the mud buddy, all those kinds of things are going to save time, you know, and going to your, your mud buddy, you know, the, you want to go through everything from the gas tank to the prop. You want to make sure that, you know, all the oils are changed. You've got a new filter on you, you poured, you know, got rid of all your old gas. You've, uh, you've put some stuff in your gas to make sure that, you know, it's stabilized, that sort of thing. And you want to change spark plugs. You want to change breathers. You, you know, all kinds of things like that will make your duck hunting experience a hundred times better come open in the morning. And I'm going to give you one rule of thumb, one thing that sticks in my head because I've done it the very first time I ever ran a mud, mud motor or mud buddy was always loosen up that alamite screw on that that shaft and when before you put grease there because you will blow the bearing. <laughs> No not, but the seal, the seal, you'll blow the seal. No doubt about that. And you know, preventive maintenance is the best thing. And we probably ought to write this down. You know, Jeffrey, our, our, our main guy running the show, make a note of this, buddy. The week after duck season, we probably ought to revisit and, and give folks some preventive maintenance because it's a little bit late for that right now with September just around the corner. But if you didn't do preventive maintenance, you need to make a checklist and you need to get through it now. You know, uh, like Freddie said, you need to check out your motor. That means greasing it. That means starting it up. If you put it away without putting any stabilizer in the fuel, Take it to your local uh, dealer, your local service center. Get rid of that gas. It's not going to be any good, I can tell you now. And if you do run it, and it's one of our models with the Makuna carburetor, it is not our fault when that sucker gums up because you didn't do your job and get rid of the old gas. You're going to have carburetor problems in any motor, particularly if you're running ethanol and you didn't do anything to stabilize it if it's still in there next year. I mean, it's just going to, you know, that's a, that's a fact of life. Don't find that out. Oh, yeah. I made that mistake a few years ago. I had some bad uh, old gas in my boat, and I thought, oh, I'll just use it for my lawnmower. Yeah, my lawnmower will run on anything. Well, not quite. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it, uh, fried, it fried the carburetor on the lawnmower. Yeah, just uh, old gas, yeah, six-month-old gas. Yeah, you might as well, well put I mean, a varnish it, in it. it. Yep. Yeah, that's just exactly what it turns to. It, even your, you know, your battery. A lot of people, it's warm during the first part of duck season and stuff. Their motor starts fine. They're thinking, man, it's, you know, my battery's going to make it another season. But, you know, when you're hunting in 40, 50 degree weather, all batteries work great. But she take that first morning, she drops down to 20. That 12 volt battery turns into a dud. And I mean, it, that quick, just from the temperature changes. So, you know, always make sure you got. Uh, another way to get your boat started whether it's jumper cables and double check things for those cold mornings too because things operate a lot differently when it's cold than when it's you know normal air temperatures of 50 oh, yeah. or 60 degrees yeah and don't forget your trailer tires bearings lights that could ruin a trip getting pulled over on the way hunting in the morning because you don't have trailer lights oh yeah um so can't overlook your trailer or dropping a bearing where you, again, where you, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. you hadn't kept it greased properly. You put it up. There was water that had gotten inside the sill on that bearing. Rust built up. <laughs> if you've got a very long run at all to get to where you're hunting, you're in trouble. 
I don't even like talking about such things because it just seems like it makes it happen to me more. <laughs> it just jinx it. Oh, it yeah. does. It does. But, you know, I've heard Jay Paul talk about, you know, lots of things to be done before duck season. And, you know, going out, checking on the blinds. Jay Paul's made mention of, you know, hey, you go in there and there's a bunch of wasps, you better bring wasp spray because for some reason they hide in every corner. You got to dress things up. You know, right now is the perfect time to be cutting limbs with a lot of leaves on them. The sap hadn't fallen, so the leaves are going to stay longer. And just certain things like that will will make sure that your opening morning duck season runs a lot smoother. Oh, no doubt. And let me tell you, you brought up those wasps. This is so funny. And my wife laughed her ass off at me because I preach about that all the time. And she heard you and I talk about that the other day. So I hadn't moved my F4 in a while. It's been sitting in one spot. And I went, took it up to the truck and I went to grab it. And I, and I never forget this. I don't know why, uh, but look under the tongue of that boat trailer that coupler that goes over the ball on your trailer, that is a perfect and favorite nesting place for red wasps. I went to put it on the trailer and bam, one came out and nailed me on the ring finger of my left hand just two days ago. That happened to me. Since we <laughs> last time. Oh, I was so, I was furious with myself, you know, because, and I had a can of wasp spray in the back of the truck. And normally I'll check it when I see, you know, walk up to that trailer and I'll kick the tongue and then jump. Back. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Kick it and then yeah. jump back, you know, and if there's nothing yeah. there, people, if there's anybody around, they think you've lost your mind, but yeah, man, they will, they will get you bad. It's funny. You brought that up. Freddie, if you were going to make a checklist of the three or four most important things that a guy needs to, to do right now, prep wise, what would you put on that? Well, I mean, there's, you know, for us, we we hunt a we hunt a certain style. You know, we, we we're timber hunters. We we put our, you know, we hug trees when we're duck hunting. So, and it's going to vary from you know what somebody else's checklist might be, but we basically know where we're going to hunt. But one of the things every year, there's storms that knock down trees. There's logging that goes on. And we'll do a lot of preseason scouting. We'll, that's the number one thing we do because we want to know where those new areas or holes might be that that are going to short stuff, stop ducks that normally, you know, we, we wouldn't hunt that close to a rest or a feeding area. But now, you know, hey, there's a lot of open timber in there. Uh, we're going to be able to short stuff. So scouting definitely pays dividends. And then just your basic mm, – making sure that everything's ready, you know, and it goes all the way down to the decoys. Uh, you know, as well as I, that things get thrown up in a mess and you need to go make sure that, you know, all your weights are on, everything's tied correctly. You don't have, you know, six or seven decoys wound up in knots and, and just making sure that those things that, that will make opening morning a lot better, uh, are all in order. And that's basically it other than our, our, you know, tuning on our duck calls a little bit, making sure that our rigs run great. We just want to make sure that we know where we're going to hunt and those areas haven't changed that are anything that we use to duck hunt is ready to rock. And 
my gosh, we can still blow a duck call. So a little bit of duck call practice, mm-hmm. and make sure our rigs run right. A lot of scouting. A lot, a lot of scouting. Yeah, I think, you know, if somebody wanted to make a list, the three most important things, you just hit them. You know, uh, number one, make sure that you and your dog are physically ready to go for duck season. Start preparing now because it's going to be tough when you're wading in mud and carrying decoys. Number two, uh, check out your equipment. That means all your equipment from your boat and motor all the way down to your duck calls, gun, even your decoys. You know, think about all those things that you're going to be using. And now is the time to do it. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen guys cussing themselves because the night before opening day at midnight, they're still sitting up rigging decoys. I mean, it's so simple. Just, you know, think about what you're going to need, get it done, set it aside to be prepared. You know, and then number three, uh, don't wait till the last minute to start scouting. You know, uh, you, you just alluded to the fact that you guys hunt public timber and timber changes, but you know, all things change from time to, from year to year. So, you know, I, I'm the same way with you. I'm out there looking at the places that we hunt. We've got places that are croplands, you know, farms that, you know, hey, the crop may be different this year and you've got to adapt to that. So I definitely think those are, are the big three. Anything you'd add to that, Dave? No, I think scouting is important. You know, uh, the water situations change uh, year to year, especially here in Utah. What are good areas one year could be bone dry the next year. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, all the hunting here is primarily public and uh, they'll allow access to the marshes about two weeks before the season. So you really can't do a lot of scouting until about two weeks before the season, unless you just sit in the truck with binoculars. So, um, but yeah, I take full advantage of that. Getting to my spots, making sure my paths are all cleared out, water situation's good. Um, you know, the gear, um, waders, yeah. Make sure your waders don't have holes because they can develop leaks over the summer. And now's a good time to do it. Water's warm. Dry rot. So uh, you're not going to freeze your butt off if you have a leak in the waders. So check out your waders before the season. Um, you know, get as much shooting in as possible. You know, work your dog. Um, I mean, that, that's, you know, I, I know uh, I'm not alone on this, but I mean, that, that's part of the fun too of duck hunting is all the prep and the equipment and, the anticipation, getting everything ready. I mean, you know, that's sometimes that's almost as fun as a hunt, you know, just anticipation of another season and working on your decoys and, and, uh, you know, just looking forward to a, to another season. Yeah. I think those duck hunters who don't go through that ritual, maybe, you know, hunt with a buddy, don't have decoys or dog. I mean, they're, they're missing, um, you know, a very, uh, important, you know, intriguing part of duck hunting, and that's that's the gear and the prep, and um, you know, working on your calling, working on a little different calling style. You know, just to have just that maybe that one secret weapon every year, maybe that new motion decoy. You know, this you know, it's always good to have uh, you know something new and different to try out every season. Well, Dave, you're you're one hundred percent right. You know, the prepping and and it's to to duck hunters that truly, truly just love the sport, it's it's a 365-day-a-year uh, deal. And they don't ever stop thinking about duck season. You know, our our dove season, you know, like most states, is fixing to come in, and it's a kickoff. 
to the whole duck hunting thing, all of the, all of our hunting season. So, you know, and it's a, it's a major deal. Uh, just like getting together, putting the decoys and make sure everything's rigged up right. And, you know, there, there, it's just not me going through the boat. It's, it's two or three other buddies, you know, we're getting together and doing those sort of things. And, you know, that part of the stuff is a major part of the fun and adds to a duck season that might be lackluster as far as number of birds, but always, always full of a good time. Amen, brother. No doubt right about there. it. Well, man, we're running out of time here. It's it's going short, and we've hit up so, so many things. And I'll tell you, Jeffrey just sent me a little note while ago. And, uh, Freddie, I know you're traveling, but I think we're going to try to get you back on here with us in a couple of days again because, man, we left a bunch of stuff out. I mean, um, you know, you talk, Dave, you mentioned Jack and season coming up. He's your 11-year-old, correct? Correct. And, uh, you know, we want to talk a little bit about youth, a little bit about etiquette. And we also want to get Keith, uh, our Mud Buddy engineer on here, to talk a little bit about uh, getting that motor ready, some of the things that we've, we've hit on, you know, earlier today. So you guys that are joined us today, man, we appreciate you listening out there and come back with us here in a couple of days. We're going to follow up and extend this conversation because there's a whole lot more to cover and really want to get Keith on here also uh from mud buddy but you know the takeaways today man start early now's the time you know get yourself in shape examine yourself examine your gear and then examine your spot and uh freddie you available next week you know it brother y'all just tell me when and where i'm look. i'm i'm ready we're going to get you back on here and we'll get Keith into this along with uh, Dave as well. Maybe you can even get Jack to come in if it's after school. And Yeah, there we go. We might be able to. Well, you know me. I'm always cheap and available. You know? <laughs> there you go. You know what, Dave? There you go. <laughs> you're just like the women I used to like to date. You're cheap and you're <laughs> yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah. Why does it easy? Is it available? <laughs> well, cheap and available. Okay, I'll, I'll go yeah. with that one. Just like the one I like, cheap and available. <laughs> God, right. my wife's gonna kill me if she listens to this. Oh, <laughs> uh, guys, well, Freddie, Dave, man, as always, it's been great, a pleasure, and for all you guys out there listening, we truly hope you enjoyed this edition of the Excel Boats on the X Podcast, powered by Mud Buddy Motors. <laughs>